talking to you, babe. I don't want to waste another night. I'm so afraid of the static that we made. All I got is one more try. I never wanted us to fall. Hey, Chaya fam. I am so excited to be here today with April Wright. She is an amazing sex therapist, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about her. April Wright is a sex-positive, holistic, licensed psychotherapist and life coach. She uses a collaborative and integrated approach to explore biopsychosocial spiritual values, beliefs, and thoughts developed from the past, including any trauma that hinders current circumstances. She helps her clients by holding a safe space for them to process emotions, feelings about themselves, and learn from their histories so their present and future are lived authentically and wholeheartedly. April, I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for joining us so that we can talk all sexy things. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this conversation and I'd love to just start by hopping in and asking you, I think, what is on a lot of people's minds when it comes to being Persian and Jewish and American and having these different identities. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, for a lot of us, uh, we're dealing with shame and insecurities and shoulds sometimes in the bedroom. And I don't think that's just a Persian Jewish thing. No, I think that's an everybody thing. all cultures, yes. <laughs> and so I think, for example, with maybe the men in our culture, there's a pressure to have multiple partners before sex or before marriage to have more experience than, you know, your wife or your partner. I think there is also shame around, you know, you don't want to be too promiscuous and sleep with too many people and get this reputation that like you're what we call a fuck boy. Mm. And, um, <laughs> I think on the woman's end, there's some shame and shoulds around being a virgin, but also kind of from American culture, it's like the exact opposite message of like, we should be sleeping around and we should ha be having casual sex and that should be something mm -hmm. that we're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes we get stuck between these two cultures mm -hmm. and I, my question for you is sort of how do we get the shoulds out of the bedroom and get clarity on what it is that we actually sexually mm -hmm. desire? Well, I think first off, it's important to normalize all of what you said, that like it's across all cultures between men and women, that it's not exclusive just to anyone and that it's normal to have these conflicting points of views and it's important to be able to sit still and be calm and kind of reflect inward instead of hearing all these external messages coming towards you and finding out what is authentic for yourself and being intentional in your own decisions, but coming from a place of calmness and stillness mm -hmm. and peace within yourself where you can have a sense of honesty. But then there's a sense of mutuality between you and your partner, you have consent, and you've built that trust where there's a safe place where you can play and feel alive and curious and imaginative and just um, creating that spark within yourself, feeling powerful and fully present in your own body mm -hmm. and and being mindful from one moment to the next, not mm -hmm. thinking, bringing in the grocery list or the kids or anything else mm -hmm. outside of that. It's 
just between you and your partner, but I think what comes into play is we get so caught up in focusing in on the other, we take away from our own internal experience, and then it's not our responsibility to take care of the other person, and we think that that's what sex and intimacy is all about. Let me make you feel good. But if you actually turn it the other way around, where you're exploring on what feels good to you and you're attuned to one another and the other person is responding with mms and ahs and oohs and their own response to what feels good to them, then you feed off that. So it's, it's like you're tuning an instrument together and working in that ebb and flow together. Beautiful. I love that. And I think you make such a good point of I think anytime there's a should or there's shame or there's like you feel like your family's in the bedroom with you yes. or the community's in the bedroom exactly. with you, it feels very constricting in your body. Like just the thought of it makes me like right. so creeped out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. But I and think so the breath can be very important to incorporate that in the bedroom where you're focusing in on your breath and expanding, even using um, like voo, and so you have this vibration and humming inside of yourself mm-hmm. to bring up that sense of power and connection inward. So you, and then that helps kind of redirect inward instead of focusing outward or whatever community or community that comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. That's such a beautiful way to describe how to go from constriction to inspiration. And Mm -hmm. you know, if you're feeling inspired Mm -hmm. in the bedroom, then those shoulds have melted away. That shame has probably melted away. Right. You know, you and I talked about this in advance and we were kind of chatting about what we should talk about today. And I remember you mentioning some issues that come up sometimes around previous sexual partners and how that kind of affects the dynamic between the couple. Mm. And sometimes that can look like coming across like a sex tape between, you know, your partner and their ex, or that can look like, (laughs) that can look like, um, you know, how many people have you slept with before me type of Mm. question. Mm -hmm. And my question for you is how much should we know? And when these conversations come up, like how are we, how do we productively kind of navigate that? Hmm. Well, I'm a big believer in honesty, but honesty of being intentional with it, that you want to make sure if you're honest that you're not hurtful in that delivery. So you're thinking about how this might land with the other person. So sometimes having little white lies or just holding back some of the truth may be more intentional and focusing in on your relationship at hand. But it's important also to embrace that wholeness within yourself of integrating those different parts of yourself so that you feel okay with the decisions that you've made in your life and kind of transforming that that shame that comes with it of having compassion for yourself. And compassion comes from a place of understanding and that you're not alone in some of your choices and that there's reasons why we make these choices that may not fit who we truly are, but sometimes that's a direction we need to go to kind of redirect us to 
ourself, mm-hmm. being returning back to home and our whole self. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes these things unexpectedly just come up in a relationship where it was like, oh, oops, I didn't mean to see that, but I saw it. And then that's where it's important to talk about that, to be vulnerable and open and to share what insecurities come up with yourself. Mm-hmm. And hopefully your partner can, can hold that space for, your, for the discomfort that you're both experiencing, but put their stuff aside for a moment and be there to truly investigate and be curious and have an open heart to receive what it's like for them to feel so vulnerable and insecure in their own body and how that affects them on how they feel about themselves and even in the relationship. I think that kind of leads me to this next question of how can we communicate what it is that we want with our partners? Mm. I think it's also it's, it's important to be clear internally and, and, and that it changes as we evolve and change within ourselves. Nothing is completely rigid and, and stagnant in our own sexuality and our own exploration of our body and that it does change with different times and stages in our mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. whether when you're single and you're don't have any children or maybe you're together um, or children come in or maybe once the children leave the nest. So there's all these different stages of life and our hormones have an effect on that. But what you can change your own hormones in the way that what's released in your own desirability is stepping into that. Like sex is not a place you go to. It's a place that you live in within yourself So taking responsibility for your part in that and feeling desirable. I think you're making a good point that at different phases of life, your hormones are going to change, your experiences are going to change, your partners might change, what felt good with one partner might feel different with a different partner. Exactly. And so it's like being in tune with yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I also hear sometimes like, how am I supposed to tell my partner if I don't like something that he or she is doing? Um, Mm. sexually or how do I tell them that I want more of this or less of that I I always think when it comes to sex because we are so easily feel rejected and insecure with our own bodies that it's better to focus in on what feels good than what doesn't feel good and so to bring in that positive reinforcement not necessarily even through our words but through using the right side of the brain, which is more spoken in our body language and mm-hmm. and just the mm-hmms and the nodding of the head and and the you know the the release of the body, you can sense that. And when you're really attuned to your partner, then that's your guiding force mm-hmm. to just keep doing more of that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, even a, a a gentle guidance of the person's hand mm-hmm. where you're helping them along, but there's not these words that are coming out because it, it can, when you're in that moment, it can easily be broken and then you retreat with someone saying, oh, I don't like that. That will mm. instantly dampen the desire and aliveness <laughs> in, in the, the bedroom. bedroom. Yeah. yeah, completely. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so, all right, bye. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs>
Yeah. So I hear what you're saying. It's kind of like focus on the things that you are liking and you can communicate that through sounds and through like gently moving someone's hand or their body against your Mm -hmm. body and things like that. And even, you know, showing through your own body, you know, begin to touch yourself and what feels good. The more that you can be attuned to your own body and explore it and be open to that self-exploration, then you have that knowledge to be able to give to someone else. But when we're ignorant about our own body, then we don't have the knowledge to be able to communicate that to someone else. I love that. I think that's so important because, you know, I think a lot of our listeners are uh, in relationships, but also maybe single and mm-hmm. not comfortable, maybe having casual sex. And they're kind of that in between between right. partners and they're not really sure how to be more sexually connected to themselves mm-hmm. in that phase or in that period. So I think this kind of goes into beautifully what you're just talking about now is like using masturbation. Or you can even, even if that word feels too intimidating, Um, It could just be more about self-exploration because you don't have Mm -hmm. to go necessarily. It's not all about the genitals. It's even cupping your face or caressing your hands or your arms or your legs and, you know, um, trying different types of touch on yourself. So or bringing in different um, toys. It could be a feather or it, you know, it could be a vibrator or, or a dildo, whatever that you feel comfortable with. Or sometimes just watching a video can, and, and there's uh, women's uh, female masturbation that's geared totally toward that, where it's just women who are masturbating. So it can give you an idea on what that l- might look like and, and help guide you into your own self-exploration. Mm-hmm. And that it is a normal thing, that it's not, because a lot of people think of sexual videos as porn, oh, and that's bad. But it's it's more about having, it's like you're watching a movie, a, a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> but this one's a little more <laughs> playful. <laughs> that's amazing. And are there any resources that you recommend when it comes to that? Like, are there... Is this something people can find online or yes, or Wicked, books they can read on um, this stuff? Wicked Video has a lot of educational videos. Um, I can give you some more information regarding that, but they, um, they have a great resource. Mm-hmm. Cool. And so for the couples who kind of obviously are together and maybe feeling not so jazzed about sex lately, I think, you know, we're all kind of in COVID and Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing some people's libido is I think 25% of people their libido has gone up and I would say the other 75% of people their libido has gone down Mm. or they're not you know people couples are spending their whole day together Mm -hmm. all their time together and some of maybe the magic or the excitement Mm -hmm. or the novelty of sex has faded and they're maybe wondering how can we reconnect or how can we Mm -hmm. spice this up and make this more interesting again right yeah no that's huge right now because feeling that aliveness is all about novelty and creating this newness and freshness and there's some mystery and there's autonomy um, that that comes with that excitement. Mm-hmm. And it's been kind of 
taken away from us <laughs> and in this new time where we're you know made to stay at home that you're working and you're eating and sleeping all in the same environment and so there isn't any newness or novelty so to kind of bring back that sense of spice back into your life creating that space for yourself on what makes you feel alive how do you step into your own sense of liveness within yourself mm-hmm. so what when do you feel most alive? When do you feel most deli- um, desirable? Mm-hmm. And, and it might be just about self-care. It could be, you know, feeling powerful. And when do you feel most powerful? Maybe it's you completed this really pro- this big project you've been working on for a while and you're feeling good about yourself. And so you use that same kind of energy to bring back into the bedroom and there's there's millions of stuff about you know bringing role plays and using the creativity in that way or different toys and using your imagination in that way but it's more about a mindset and being and practicing mindfulness and maybe cuz we get so i think we've moved so quickly into getting to the end result mm-hmm. instead of stepping backward and really when you're just like a teenager and, and you, you don't want to go all the way, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> and so that's the fun part is where you're just kissing for hours and it was like, oh, that's the best kiss I've ever had and just exploring each other's bodies and different mm-hmm. touch and, and that can bring back the excitement just right there where yeah. you're not having a goal to reach, you're just enjoying the journey along the way. Yeah, I think there's so much pressure for orgasm Mm -hmm. and I think you know it's really it kind of takes all the fun away because it it makes it about just like it makes sex very goal oriented it does instead of process oriented and Mm -hmm. yeah I think also as well you know sometimes with clients who are kind of struggling with this it's like take make sex you know take it off the table exactly and just focus on you know, everything else and what happens then, you know, maybe tonight is just about you guys are like touching each other's bodies, but you're not allowed to have sex. And Mm -hmm. then somehow magically, maybe that happens. And if not, then at least you guys got to try something new and different Mm -hmm. and learn something about each other. Yeah, there's a whole protocol that's called sensate focus, and it it goes into stages because there's so much performance anxiety, not only for women, but in men. And, and then we're desensitized with um, overwatching porn and then we take that into that's the way you're supposed to act in the bedroom so it's bringing in these unrealistic expectations of of the bedroom of what this is supposed to look like Mm -hmm. instead of creating that space for your own self-exploration together Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and, and building that trust and safety but um, mystery and excitement and aliveness. Yeah, I am hearing a lot about that as well for my generation because of the access to porn and because Mm -hmm. we've kind of grown up with porn. Mm -hmm. um, There is a lot of desensitization and a lot of difficulty with performance more than ever. Mm -hmm. It's a huge problem where ED has affected a lot more younger um, people than, you know, previously Mm -hmm. just because of porn 
mm-hmm. that they're having these expectations as if it's supposed to look in this way and oh it's really hot if I come on her face like she's wanting that and that's that's not something <laughs> that I know of <laughs> women really wanting <laughs> okay so my next question for you is what are some myths around sex that seem sometimes to be accepted as truth mm. well let's see I think one of the myths would be um, you can't flirt. Mm. And that flirting means you're not interested in me and that you're discontented in the relationship. And um, there's nothing wrong with flirtation. It's the intention behind it because flirtation, if it's just done, it's not like an end goal of, like we were just talking about, of mm-hmm. oh, I want to flirt with this person so I can get them in bed. You're just, if you're just lighthearted and enjoying the moment, it's just being playful. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that flirtatiousness with someone else can add excitement into between you and your partner. That's interesting because you're also choosing your partner, even though there was this perhaps other opportunity but there was interest from someone else but you made that choice that no I cherish and value my partner more another myth might um, be to to tell your partner everything and that to be completely open and honest Mm -hmm. and that's the best policy Mm -hmm. and I think um, I'm just watching your face right now as you're saying that and you're like absolutely not <laughs> yeah, some things are better left unsaid. <laughs> so, um it's it's really being honest about within yourself, but knowing what's going to be hurtful like oh, does this dress make me look fat? And you go, "Mhm, it really mm-hmm. does." Mm-hmm. Sometimes a little white lie goes, you know, well, I've seen better dresses on you or, yeah, I like that dress in the way that it hugs, you know, your curves around your arms or whatever, mm-hmm. instead of focusing on, yeah, that really makes your butt look big. Mm-hmm. Um, so a bad thing either, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so again, focusing in on the positive and um, watching your language to make sure you're not hurtful because... Mm-hmm. When you're in a healthy relationship, you're focusing more on the couplehood that you have to value love over being right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Another myth is bad sex is a relationship breaker and that sexual compatibility um, is not something that can be solvable. Interesting. Um, But the truth is bad sex is about self-knowledge. And that if you don't have the self-knowledge, which goes back into our self-exploration and masturbation, is it's a matter of being able to communicate that mm-hmm. everyone has their individual blueprint on what feels good to them. And it's a matter of just being able to express that. And that's also important to know that within yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and especially, you know, women experience bad sex more than men do that's interesting that's (laughs) fucking fascinating (laughs) 
<laughs> because men are all about, oh, if I had an orgasm, it was good for me. Right. But women, it's not about the end result for them. It's, mm-hmm. it's circular. Mm-hmm. So it, it is more about the full experience of the foreplay, the being, feeling like they're, they're special, that they matter. Mm-hmm. And, and that helps them to feel desirable. Mm-hmm. So it's really cherishing the other person. See, another myth is that your significant other should be your best friend. Mm. I'm hearing this a lot lately, actually. Yeah, your soulmate, your best friend, your everything. Yeah, I mean, I have some couples right now who I ask them, why are you guys together? And sometimes the only answer is like, well, they're my best friend. Mm. And I think it's so interesting that I think, yeah, we do put a lot of pressure on our partners to be so many different things. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a sex breaker right there, intimate breaker. Hmm. It will just dampen all of that desire. So what's the reframe or the shift that needs to happen with that? It's, it's important to have your own group of friends and that yeah, you can have your partner as your best friend. It's just not they're your only best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just enhancing your own life where the more that you are you, and living your best life and embracing your wholeness and all the different parts of who you are as two completely different individuals, then when you do come together, it's just like you'll be adding the cherry on top to each other's full, complete, beautiful Sunday. Mm-hmm. And, but if the cherry's taken away, you're just still scrumptious as you are already. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So it's really enhancing a full circle of friends um, and going after your dreams and aspirations. Yeah, so important. Mm-hmm. So important. Okay, I'm loving this. Any more myths? <laughs> um, fighting is a sign that something is wrong. And having, so the truth is, having disagreements and a conflict is completely normal and healthy. It's how we have conflict or resolve it or don't that's where a lot of the the breaks come in Mm -hmm. so it's being able to kind of hold and it's happening so much especially in today's culture is we want everyone to you must be thinking like I'm thinking and that we can't have two completely different thoughts or what's right or wrong or mm-hmm. um, good or bad. Mm-hmm. And but it, it's not a matter of right or wrong. They could both be true. Mm-hmm. And it, so it's a matter of being curious on and try to understand how did that person come to that instead of, well, you're wrong and I need to prove why you're wrong and I'm going to tell you why I'm right. Mm-hmm. So again, that's going back to you're wanting to be right instead of, you know, wanting to be loved more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that it's not discounting the other person's thoughts. Mm-hmm. There's that quote that's like, you can be right or you can be happy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's learning how to kindly express yourself and with your own ideas and opinions and preferences, but also to be open 
um, to listening to the other person's mm. side and what they have to say. Mm. And then that's how you can navigate and negotiate into, you know, coming to an, just an understanding. You don't have to, I don't like the, uh, the premise you agree to disagree because mm. then that's not honoring and truly trying to understand the other person. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a, a block on on reaching that it's oh kind i don't of like a premature end to the conversation it is completely yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's a sign that you're not done talking <laughs> <laughs> well said <laughs> yeah yes so some other ones i have are, are women are less interested in sex than men mm. is another myth mm -hmm. and, and that actually goes into my next question for you which is oh. like what what do you do if you're in a partnership where one partner wants sex more or less than the other? Because I think the mm. truth is, and I've done this with couples before where I asked all of them to individually write how often are they having sex and how often are they wanting sex? Then I put all the numbers on the board anonymously and none of the numbers matched up. Mm -hmm. None of them. They were all different, you mm -hmm. know? So not only do we all want different amounts of sex within as individuals in a couple, but we also are really bad historians and we all think we're having different amounts of it, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's not a, a tallying or a total, um, and keeping score. Mm -hmm. I th that's also kind of deadens the spark and aliveness in your relationship. If yeah. you're tallying up how many times you've had it, cause it's not the times it's the quality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we forget about that. Um, cause I, th I think one thing that, that can be, um, done is that men look at sex as it's my stress reliever. And so I, I, I go to be intimate so I can relieve my own stress and yeah, sex can be a great stress reliever, but it shouldn't be your only resource. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, but that's also not meeting the other person where they're at. It's learning how to take care of yourself um, for your own yeah. emotional regulation. I think it puts a lot of pressure on the person who wants it less. Mm -hmm. And then the person who wants it more feels rejected. Right, exactly. Know? And then it kind of just spirals from there. What happens, It's a lot of it's due to motherhood and to being domestic. But to be turned on, you have to be focused in on yourself and sometimes when you're a mother, mm. you're totally focused in on others. That's interesting. And that kind of contributes to how much you want it, you're saying? Yes. That's really interesting. So if you take time for yourself, changing the scenery and the story, get out of the house, um, that's when the woman will be turned on. Because again, mm -hmm. she's wanting to feel special. She's wanting to get out of that realm of what she's perceived of. And also the man, like men have a hard time having, being excited about having sex with the mother of his children. Mm -hmm. That also dampens their sex life. Mm -hmm. So if you can bring back this other part of yourself, that, that sexy part where you know, maybe you're going out to dinner or you're creating a space to create a different story within yourself that... I'm leaving motherhood at home and I'm going to um, step into my own desirability and do this sexual being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really also, you, you and I kind of talked about this before, that 
sometimes in our community, I think for the more traditional couples mm-hmm. that I think um, the men can look at their wives as the mother of their children mm-hmm. and not as sexual beings. Mm-hmm. And it really creates so much of a loss in their sex life. It does. And maybe they feel like they have to go, you know, mm-hmm. outside of the relationship in order to be with someone that feels like a sexual being. And so right. that creates, you know, infidelity and mm-hmm. lack of trust and just, you know, a lot of um, stale energy, I think, in the marriage. Mm-hmm. And that's where you have to take responsibility for your part in that and then create that space that you're wanting and to get that it's easy to to get it you know by paying for it or or having an affair or somewhere else it takes a more responsibility mm-hmm. for you to create that sign, same kind of atmosphere but between you and your partner mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that both of you have a role in in creating that mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. so any more myths? <laughs> I <are> fun. do. <laughs> so I have another myth is that for men, their sexuality is more physical and biological than mental. Mm. And the truth is that men's sexuality is massively psychologically driven. That their fear of rejection and fear of inadequacy and performance anxiety and uncertainty about whether their partner is lying to him if she is really like it or not, mm-hmm. which women easily do and they can easily fool mm-hmm. <laughs> their partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and that, but in all of that, because of that, sex is completely relational and equal between men and women because mm-hmm. they are constantly concerned about the dynamics in the relationship Mm -hmm. and more than we give men credit for yeah that's so true another myth i have is that once a cheater always a cheater so studies have found that specific traits like risk loving commitment phobia and narcissism are all linked to infidelity But if people are repeat offenders, generally it means they lie about other things in their life, and they have been for a while. Mm. So it's if it's a single episode, then it's a breach in trust. And then once that's occurred, it's a foregone conclusion that your partner will cheat again. But that's not necessarily true. So it's a matter of understanding why there was a breach Mm -hmm. in in the relationship, what led up to it. So Mm -hmm. what led up to it is a 50-50 dynamic. But then once that breach of trust is broken, then that was 100% wrong. But then to go back to fix that, it's building back up that trust. Mm -hmm. And so the person who was the cheater, they have to come back and continually keep coming back because it takes, if there's one negative, it takes five positive to counter out that one negative. Mm-hmm. And so we think, oh, I already apologized. That should be enough. It's not. You have to keep coming back and, and make meaning out of it, that there was a reason for the sex. And, and what did the affair mean to you? And, and that it, instead of looking at it as 
an ending of the relationship because a lot more couples are staying together after there's been an affair and Mm -hmm. then there's this new shame that's been created around that because other people are coming at them saying how can you stay with your partner after they've cheated on you what kind what kind of self-worth do you have for even doing that and it's it's not about that because I know a lot of couples who still truly love each other and it wasn't it had the affair had nothing to do with their partner at all Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It had to do with their own feelings of inadequacy, of mm-hmm. not feeling lovable. Mm-hmm. And so most of the time, it's it's trauma-related. It sounds like if your partner has lied about a bunch of different things or different areas of life, right. they're probably more likely to be a repeat offender when it comes to cheating. Exactly. Or if they have more like narcissistic tendencies, or you mentioned a couple other sort of commitment phobia commitment phobia mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. or like risk-taking behaviors if they really enjoy like risk-taking stuff exactly yeah mm-hmm. so those those sort of signs you see prior you know in the beginnings of the relationship you know this kind of goes into the next part of what I want to talk about which is I think a huge part of sex is trust and is safety mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people mm-hmm. and so how do you know if and when you're sort of ready or you are safe enough to have sex with a new partner mm-hmm. and what can someone do to make their partner feel safe sexually? Mm. Mm. Great questions. Thank to, to get clarity on your own sexual experience on desires, it's important to understand your own mood and perspectives and cultural lens that you're looking through mm-hmm. and what is acceptable or forbidden within that lens. But then you have to create a new lens that's solely authentic to you mm-hmm. and being intentional about exploring what that is for yourself. It involves some mystery and play um, and a little bit of the forbidden and excitement of pushing those boundaries. Mm-hmm. And sometimes um, to help in creating that, you can create a communication system together. So you have like a green light, yellow light, red light. Mm-hmm. So if you're, because we don't, it's just like when you're learning how to walk, you feel really unstable on your, your feet Mm-hmm. And and you're all excited and you're like walking as fast as you possibly can and then you fall. Mm-hmm. But then you might cry a little bit or you get right back up and you keep trying. And it's taking that little, those continual risks before you know it, you're running and you're not falling and you're like, wow, this is the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. And, but so you have to kind of go into a little bit of the unknown a little bit mm. to experiment with, with what you do really want and what is feels good to you so it's kind of being comfortable in that uncertainty Mm. so to create that space there does need to be a sense of trust that's built because trust is not some instantaneous thing it's it's earned Mm -hmm. and that you share a little bit about yourself and you wait to see how the other person responds Do they respond in an open, curious, loving, accepting way? Or do they 
use it against you or tell someone else. Um, and, and so the, then you know, on, and you keep doing that a little bit at a time. It's mm-hmm. baby steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always use this um, sort of idea that I learned, which is, you know, share, test, share, test, share, exactly. test. Yes. So you tell a little bit about yourself to someone mm-hmm. when you're first dating them, for example, and you kind of test them to see if they're sharing that same level of vulnerability back with you. And mm-hmm. then you share a little bit more and then you test them and you see if they kind of meet you on that next level of, mm-hmm. you know, vulnerability and courage and discomfort mm-hmm. until you kind of build it up to a point where you feel, I guess, comfortable enough with the uncertainty of the sexual realm and kind Mm. of going into Mm -hmm. you know some of the vulnerabilities that come up with that experience Mm -hmm. exactly yeah well said (laughs) yeah and I think you're making also a really good point about how can you make your partner feel safe and I think it's like respecting their privacy respecting that having sex with someone is you know, um, not something that you're going to go and talk about with all of your friends or say bad things about them and kind of shame them or, you know, I think letting them know that this stays here and this is safe and we can talk about things and explore things together and shift together and move together. Right. But I think it's also because it's that mutuality and consent, but then the more that you know your own body and what feels good to you and you and you've known your own process and exploring that from where you are in this particular moment then you're you're open and receptive to be able to hold a space to hear someone else's completely different blueprint mm-hmm. because you know the the strength and courage that it took to open your own self up to your own exploration mm-hmm. So then it creates the space to have an understanding that, wow, that took a lot of work, that took a lot of reflection mm-hmm. and, and courage to get where you are, and then to open up and share that with me, that that's a sacred space that, that needs to be respected and honored mm-hmm. together. And, and so in that mutuality, then hopefully that will create the safety to continue even investigating that more together beautiful and what are some common reasons people would seek a sex therapist a lot of times it's the desire leaves or there was an affair um, or there's ed or there's performance anxiety or there's different incompatibility in sexual relationships where one person has more shame around their own sexuality so Mm. they're cut off from their body especially with women that's there's so much um, shame around women's bodies and their own sexual thoughts um, that they've just suppressed it especially with religion that's just a whole other part of the culture Mm -hmm. (laughs) that has Um, horrendous effects on how women mostly um, are affected by Mm. you know their their body Mm -hmm. so it's not just sexual abuse or or sexual trauma in a way it could be sexual trauma from cultural Mm -hmm. religion that's really Mm -hmm. interesting you know something I've noticed in the Jewish Iranian community is that I think I've seen it with myself and I've seen it with a lot of people is that they don't really feel comfortable speaking to 
their other Jewish Iranian friends about sex. Mm. It's something that they would go talk about with like their non-Persian Jewish friends. Mm. And I think a lot of that does have to do with shame and reputation management and just overall feelings of safety and like trust. Mm -hmm. But I think it perpetuates a lot of the shame that we have in our community because everyone's just keeping quiet. Mm -hmm. So... And shame thrives off secrets. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So I think I'm just thinking to myself, like some of the ways that I've noticed, even with my own Persian Jewish friends, sometimes that I'm noticing there's like a block around this topic. Like if I bring something up, sometimes people are like not available to have that conversation with me around sex. Mm. And sometimes I'll bring it up and I've had certain friends thank me because they're like, I can't talk about this with my sisters. Mm -hmm. I can't talk about it with my cousins. I can't really, I didn't know it's okay to talk about this. So Mm -hmm. like, thank you for bringing it up and even asking and like, and now we're able to very openly talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, our, you know, sexual sides and experiences and all of that. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just curious to know from you as well, like if someone is, wanting to talk about their sexual experiences more with the people in their lives, how can they go about that? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure there was something that indicated to you firsthand, like you had an experience where um, it it was completely blocked and the other person wasn't able to hear it and be there for you and listen to you. So there was some sort of energy that they were exuding that – you quickly shut off and then the other experience was completely different do you know what that was for you yeah I think you know it wasn't so much that I shut down when I felt like the other person was blocked I felt like Mm -hmm. they shut down exactly and so it was but what did you feel with inside of yourself when they shut down or when they were open what was the shift inside of you I think my thought was maybe this person doesn't want to explore their sexuality or it's too painful for them Mm -hmm. or I think also sometimes there's a difference between privacy and shame like sometimes people just want to keep their sex lives between themselves and their partners and I totally respect that you know Mm -hmm. they want to keep it sacred it's like creates intimacy for them to kind of just share it with each other but Mm -hmm. I think shame is different I think Mm -hmm. shame is is like I'm bad or I did something wrong and right. there's like undertones of that and that's why they're not sharing. Exactly. It's a feeling of I'm damaged, I'm broken and so then that plays into your own sense of being lovable and worthy of even receiving love and so then that affects all other aspects of relationships and trust and mm-hmm. and you can feel that with girlfriends or with your partner. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's going back to the check, share, check Mm -hmm. and, and testing that. And some people are cut off from their own sexuality and aren't open to that. So it just goes back to, for creating that safe space that you have to be at a place where you're feeling whole and complete in your own sexual self because then you can create that space to listen to someone else's that might be completely different than yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My head's just like nodding like the whole time <laughs> you're talking. <laughs> um, thank you, April, so, so much yeah. for spreading all this wisdom. And thank you. I'm curious to know for our listeners, if they wanted to contact you or get more from you, how can they reach you? 
Uh, they can reach me through my website. It's aprilwrighttherapy.com. And I have a contact form there and my phone number's on there. So I um, also have a blog on there with femevolution.wordpress. Um, I have um, another business with arts. It's courageousarts.com. Um, so 